Thank you, Tracy. That was beautiful. Just beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians. We're still in that uh, series on great uh, passages of the epistles. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, I was absent last Sunday morning. I had, a, again, a, a virus, and on top of that, a, a bronchitis again. So, Appreciate your prayers. I may cough a little this morning, so just bear with me. I'll preach between the coughs if I have to cough a little. And uh, I think it'll work out all right. It is good to see everyone. It's good to be back. Karen was sick during that period, too. We both were. Last week, or two weeks ago, <clears throat> I started on the subtitle of The Word, The Word of God. And this is part two, as you see on the screen there. This is part two of that message on the Word. If you remember in our text, Paul is writing this book, this letter, epistle, from uh, Corinth. It's on his second missionary journey. He stayed in Corinth a year and a half. And he writes this letter, and it goes back to the Christians at Thessalonica. And uh, they have been set free, if you remember, from uh, idols. They were idol worshipers. They were pagans. And Jesus set them free. And they become followers of Christ. And now he's saying, now that you're redeemed, this is the way you ought to live. And when he gets down to this last chapter, he's telling us how to live. And the same is true as, of us. Now that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, this is the way we ought to live. So let's pick it up in verse 16 again. We've covered those verses. These are imperatives, of commands, New Testament commands. Verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore means to be rejoicing and have the joy of the Lord all the time in every circumstance of life. Pray without ceasing means like a hacking cough. And you just uh, pray uh, uh, during the day, all through the day, you're praying, asking for the Lord's help. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. We talked about being filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, despise not prophesying. If you remember last two weeks ago, we talked about that prophesying. Prophecy can refer to the, the whole of Scripture. And uh, prophecy in the, in the New Testament age was like bits and pieces of a puzzle until it came together in the Bible, in the canon. And now we have a completed prophecy. And uh, that's the Word of God. So the idea there is don't think little of the Word of God. Don't treat it as little. Don't think of it as little. Because it is, a, it, it is of great importance. And then the next verse says, prove all things. That means test all things. If you, if you hear somebody preach, be sure you compare it to the Word of God. And, uh, and then uh, what's good, hold fast. Hold fast to that. Let that be a part of your life. If it's really God's Word, then let it penetrate and be a part of your life. Beautiful passage of Scripture. I always think it's encouraging that God wants us to be happy. Isn't that encouraging to you? He wants us to have joy and, and peace and be thankful. He wants that for His people. 
Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together in your word today. Make it profitable for each of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Some years ago, we were at the old building, so it was at least 18, 20 years ago. Uh, somebody called me and wanted me to meet with them, and I said I would, and they were not a part of our church. And three couples came, all, all six, three couples. And uh, they sat across from me in my office and told me a story about the, the church they went to. And uh, they loved their church. It was a Baptist church right here in town. And uh, the, the people, they had been there about three or four years. And uh, the people there were their friends. Their kids played with the other kids. And they had a good fellowship and so forth. But they said, they had got talking among themselves. And several things the pastor had said. And this pastor had been there the whole time they were there. Some of the things the pastor said didn't register well with them. They were putting it to the test as the as our text says here. And, uh, and so they discussed it and they thought we should go to him and, and ask him to explain it. I'm sure he can explain it. What they said was they felt like when he talked about the Old Testament, for instance, instead of talking about it as though it was accurate history, that it was more like fables that you could learn a lesson from these stories you know but he didn't seem to emphasize that it was true history so anyway they went to him with that question as the story goes at first he was reluctant to talk about it him hauled around a little bit and finally they were asking some pretty pertinent questions Bottom line was, they found out he did not believe in the inspiration of Scripture. Now, this is a Baptist church. And so, the more they, once they got that far, the more they questioned him. He didn't believe in the miracles of the Old Testament. He didn't believe in the miracles of the New Testament. He didn't believe in the, uh, the bodily resurrection of Christ. He didn't believe in the second coming. He was not a Bible believer as we, of course, understand a Bible believer to be. He was what we would call a liberal theologian. He had a lot of education. You know, some people are educated beyond their intelligence, you know. They said he was a likable guy. They liked him. But they were shocked. Their pastor didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God. I mean, it sent them in a, in a tailspin, you know. They didn't know what to do. So they come speak to me to ask me what they should do. I recommended they go back and speak to the pastor again and say, if the congregation is Bible-believing congregation, and they thought everybody was. They thought everybody was like them. They believed the Bible. Oh, by the way, they asked him, well, why, if that's what you believe, why don't you preach that? And he said, well, because I know that the people believe the Bible is inspired, and so I just preach it the way they believe it. Wow. Talk about deception. 
So I'm recommending they go back and talk to him and ask him to step down uh, because the congregation believed differently than he believed. And if he was not willing to do that, that the th three of those couples should, should uh, leave and, and uh, go to a church that preaches the word. I don't know what happened. They, didn't, they never called me back. But that particular Baptist church, sometime after that, uh, the congregation moved. I, I, there, maybe there was a split. I don't, I don't know the details. All I know is the building was empty and now it's a Presbyterian church. Uh, the building uh, became a Presbyterian church. But I've often thought, they listened to their preacher preach every service, every Sunday for three years and didn't know what he believed. So I... I thought to myself back then, that 20 years ago, every now and then, a pastor ought to just tell his congregation what he believes, you know? So they're not wondering what he believes. So I, I want to say to you this morning that our pastors, Pastor Nick, Pastor Harley, and myself, we believe the Bible is inspired. We believe that every word is inspired from cover to cover. From the first word in Genesis to the last word in Revelation, we believe it's true. We believe it is the inerrant, infallible word of God. God's word breathed onto the pages of our Bibles. We believe that the Old Testament miracles are true. We believe that the Red Sea was rolled up and those millions of people walked across on dry ground. We believe in the miracles of Elijah and Elisha, even that some were raised from the dead. We believe. We even believe that a donkey spoke Every now and then I get the idea I'm hearing that when I watch the news, you know. <laughs> ah. We believe that when God created humanity, that the Bible says he created them male and female. And we think they ought to stay that way. We believe the Bible condemns homosexuality just like it condemns all immorality. We believe this book. We believe in the miracles of the New Testament. We believe the virgin birth. And we believe in the sinless life of Christ. And we believe in the miracles that fell from the hands of the Lord Jesus. That the lame walked and the blind saw again. And the dead were raised to life. We believe. We believe in the substitutionary death of Christ. He didn't die as a martyr. It wasn't just a historical fact. He died in our place. He shed his precious blood for me and for you. We believe that when he cried, it is finished, that Jesus had paid the price for our sin in full. We believe that on the third day, he rose again. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. 
and that he ascended back to the Father and that he's alive right now and he is willing to save and forgive all that will come to him and trust him as Lord and Savior we believe that we believe in the rapture of the church that we're going to get caught up to meet the Lord in the air and it's going to take the, as much time as the twinkling of an eye how much ever time that is we also believe that the Lord Jesus is coming back in his glorious return to earth in great power and great glory to set up his kingdom for a thousand years right here on earth we believe that heaven and hell are real places as the Bible teaches. And we believe they last for eternity. So have no doubt, congregation, that your pastors believe in the infallible, inerrant Word of God. We believe in... Amen. Now I want to talk to you about that book. A little bit. Look at your screen. Here's just some interesting facts. In the Bible, of course, it's made up of 66 books. It's written over a span of 1,600 years. You see the dates there. And written by more than 40 human authors. The reason we say more is because the book of the Psalms, it's hard to tell exactly how many authors there are in the book of Psalms, but it's written by more than 40 human authors. Some were kings, prophets, leaders, apostles, and followers of Jesus. And in spite of all of that, there's no error in it. There's no mistakes. It is, still, it is perfect. Even though it was written by different people over different periods of time, those people were moved by, by the Holy Spirit. They were moved by God Himself to write down these, uh, uh, these beautiful words. Of scripture. So, with that in mind, I want to take a look now at inspiration and the words that surround it. Look at your screen for a moment. First, we're going to look at Revelation. Now, keep your Bibles open because we're going to look to four, we're going to look at four additional passages as my time permits. We're going to look at Revelation. That's when God speaks to those 40 plus people out there that we just looked at. God speaks to them and reveals truth to them. That's revelation. And then we have inspiration. Inspiration is when those 40 people wrote down what God had revealed to them. That's inspiration. And then you have preservation. What God revealed and what they wrote down took place 2,000 plus years ago. But God has preserved His Word through the years so that you and I can have a copy of it right in our hands. Dr. Miller is doing a tremendous job on Wednesday nights talking about that perseverance, talking about the scribes. Uh, writing and so forth and how we got our Bible today, the history of the Bible. If you haven't been watching that, it'd be worth your while to go back and, and watch that. And then the last word is illumination. That is when it finally comes to us. Notice the title there, God's Word, from Him to us. 
That's when it comes to us, illumination. That's when he teaches us from that word that was inspired and preserved and now we're looking at, listening to it preached or reading it. He illuminates us. Now I want to look at these four words together. So let's, the first one is revelation. Uh, we're going to look at that first passage at the close, but we're going to look at that second passage right now. So turn there with me to Ephesians. I'm going to turn to, so you got, you got time to turn. Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll look at the term revelation. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, and uh, we pick it up in verse 3. How that by... Revelation, there's the word. By revelation, he, that's the Lord, made known unto me the mystery. And then he, in, in brackets in the King James, as I wrote afore in few words. Now he wrote, he wrote about this in chapter 2. The last half of chapter 2, he talked about this mystery that Gentiles and Jews were going to be in one body, the body of Christ, the church. In the church, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, or whether you were raised in this country or that country, we're all one in Christ. And that was a mystery. Now, a mystery in the Bible is something that has not been revealed. Of course, it's not a mystery to God. It's been in the heart and mind of God all along. But it's not been revealed to mankind until a certain time. That particular mystery, there are other mysteries too, but that particular mystery is what he's talking about here. Notice he says, again at the beginning of verse 3, how that by revelation he, the Lord, made known unto me this mystery. Verse 4, whereby when ye read, ye may understand. So this mystery that was revealed to him will eventually be where you can read. And understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. People didn't know this was going to happen in the Old Testament. As it is now revealed, there's the word again, revelation. It's revealed, now it's revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So revelation comes to a select People. Revelation doesn't come to me and it doesn't come to you. Revelation, Paul said, came to him and it came to the apostles and the prophets. Revelation is the truth coming from God to man. Later that revelation can be written down and you and I can benefit from it. So revelation... That's our first word in our study. Now, look at your screen again for a minute. And the second one is inspiration. Now, last two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. We won't look at that again, but let's, let's turn to 2 Timothy. And you'll recognize it immediately. You probably have it memorized, and that's good if you do. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And... Uh, Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's our word, inspiration. 
And it's profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction, for instruction, for righteousness, that the man of God or that the people of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished, having everything they need to perform good works. Here we have this great verse that identifies all Scripture as inspired. The word all is, is, uh, means every bit of it, and, and in theology they use the word plenary. Plenary means all. So when we say we believe in the inspiration, we believe in the plenary inspiration of Scripture, that all of it is inspired because the Bible teaches that all of it is inspired. All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, you've heard this many times, and it's still it's beautiful, though, that these words can literally be translated God-breathed. The uh, Strong's Dictionary of New Testament Words translates this compound word here as divinely breathed. I like that, don't you? But it also defines it as given by inspiration. They mean the same thing. The Amplified says, Every scripture is God-breathed, given by inspiration. The ESV says, All scripture is breathed out by God. I, like, I love that one, breathed out by God. The NIV says, All scripture is God-breathed. And then one of the paraphrase says, Every part of scripture is God-breathed. Beautiful thing, the breath of God right here in the pages of our book. My granddaughter, Kaylee, said to me about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, she said to me, she heard a preacher say that if, uh, that it can get so cold that when you breathe, you know when it's cold you can see your breath? But this preacher said, if it gets so cold you breathe, the moisture in your breath literally freezes and falls to the ground. I said, I've never heard that before. So I did what any great researcher would do. I Googled it. <laughs> and sure enough, 90 below zero Fahrenheit. 90 below zero Fahrenheit. I wouldn't want to be the one testing this, would you? But literally, if you breathe out, your breath freezes and falls to the ground. It's as though God breathed from heaven. And it fell to earth onto the pages of this book. God breathed. Wow. Inspired. Inspiration. Well, let's look at that third word. If you look at your screen again. I guess it came up there. Mine's not coming up. Let's see. Oh, you don't have the big one in the middle, do you? I don't know what's going on behind me, do I? There we go. Preservation. Now... Let's look at just one of those two. Turn with me. I'm turning over there to the book of the Psalms. Psalm 12. Psalm 
12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Pure as in without, um, without mistake, without error. The inerrant word. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. You remember seven in the Bible as the meaning of perfection or completion. The word of God is perfection. And it's completed. And the, and it, the words are pure. Verse 7 says, Thou, this is a, the, uh, David talking to the Lord. Excuse me. Let me give me a drink. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So God's going to preserve His Word from the beginning of the writing of it to the completion of the canon right on through the next 2,000 years so that you and I can have a Bible in our hands. The very Word of God. God's preserving his word. And like I said, Dr. Miller is going through the history of the Bible. It's a tremendous study on Wednesday night. And so God preserves his word. And then the last word is illumination. We'll spend a little more time on this one. I assume it's going to be up there behind me. There it is. Look now at 1 Corinthians. And chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And in this passage, though the illumination comes in verse 14, we're going to start in verse 9, because we see in this passage, we see revelation, we see inspiration, and we see illumination. So look at verse 9 of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Now, many times people think about that as heaven. And I think in some way, application, you might, you might apply it to heaven in the sense that that particular saying is true of heaven. We don't know what's going to be there. It's going to be more glorious than we can imagine. But in this text, it's not talking about that. It's talking about what is now revealed and is going to be in the Word. Notice how it continues. It says, these things have not entered into the heart of man the things that he's prepared for them that love him but here's the rest of it but God hath revealed them unto us revealed what? revealed those things that hadn't entered into the heart of man he's revealed those things 
unto us. The wonderful truth of the gospel. The fact that heaven is our home, our sins are forgiven, we are justified. All the glorious, uh, all the glories that go with the gospel of Christ and salvation by grace, these things are now being revealed in the New Testament. Notice he says, And God hath revealed them to us. Us is emphatic in that verse. It means something like, especially us, or it means something like uh, us in contrast to others. Us and only us. He's not referring to himself and to all believers. He's referring to himself. And remember who he said received revelation in chapter uh, 3 of Ephesians? Apostles and prophets. That's the us. They're, they have, they're receiving this truth from, directly from God, from revelation. And then they're going to write it down so you and I can get in on it. Notice he says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The deep things. The Amplified puts the deep things like this. The profound things. The bottomless things of God. Wow. <laughs> and then it says, verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit knows the, the mind and the heart of God the Father and God the Son. And he reveals it to these apostles who are going to write it down for us. Look at verse 12. Now we have received, there's the word again, received, revelation. We, and we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words. Now he uses the term words. It's where we get our, it's where we get our phrase, verbal inspiration. We believe the Bible is verbally inspired. That means not just thoughts and concepts and precepts and good ideas, but every word. It's the words of God. Notice now it says... Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom speaketh, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Some translations put the, the word word again there at the end. For instance, the NIV says something like this, comparing spiritual truth with spiritual words. So there is the inspiration. Revelation, down from God to those prophets and apostles. Inspiration, God moving us along, uh, or moving those men along to write it down perfectly. By the way, we're not talking about dictation as such. It's not that God moved their hand and they didn't use their own intellect. One of the, one of the best short descriptions of inspiration that I found was by Dr. Ryrie. 
and a great theologian of our day, he says it like this, Inspiration is God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they compose and record without error his revelation to man. And uh, then he also said, and I thought this was interesting, he said, uh, used to, we could just say we believe in inspiration of the Scripture. But now there's so many different terminologies out there to explain away inspiration. Some people use inspiration. What they mean is that it's inspiring, like in the writings of Shakespeare maybe is inspiring. So the Bible is inspiring. But that's not the theological term. That's not the teaching of Scripture. And so... (laughs) Uh, Dr. Ryrie says, and I'm reading again now, he says, I suggest that if you want to let somebody know what you believe, you should use terms like the verbal, plenary, infallible, inerrant, unlimited inspiration. (laughs) That's what we believe. And then we come to verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man is a man who has not yet been regenerated. He's not yet been made alive in Christ. That's the lost folk. That's the world. So the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Isn't that true? I mean, mean, lost people think about what I'm talking about today and you and I are enjoying it but lost people look at it and think boy that is craziness it's foolishness to them neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned wow he can't they, a lost person can't receive the things of the Bible, the things of the Spirit. When a lost man criticizes the Bible, it's like a blind man or a, a, a criticizing Michelangelo. He has no capacity to make that judgment or discernment. Or like a deaf person passing judgment and critiquing Bach. You know, radio, radio waves are everywhere, aren't they? And if we had a radio up here, we might could tune it and move it around until it picked up on one of those waves. And we could listen to music or somebody talking or something like that. Those waves are everywhere, but they don't do you any good unless you've got a receiver. You've got to have a receiver. When the Holy Spirit comes in, when we're regenerated, then we have a receiver. (laughs) We can receive those things that are freely given unto us of God. But not until. Look at the next verse. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Now that word judge there seems a little harsh, but it can, could be translated discern, like the word word in uh, in the uh, verse right before it. <clears throat> he that is spiritual discerns and, and can understand the word. 
He discerneth all things, yet he himself is judged or discerned by no man. The world, the world won't understand you. They won't discern you. Then it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? That's a quote from Isaiah 40 and verse 13. In Isaiah 40 and verse 13, it's referring to Jehovah, Elohim, the God of the Old Testament. Here it's referring to Christ. So here we have a little nugget of the deity of Christ, one with the Father. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ in the New Testament? We've got his teaching. We've got his instruction. We get to look at the way he lived and how he traveled and how he healed and all the things he did. We, we have his thoughts and opinions and judgments and plans and so forth in that New Testament. And it comes to us through revelation, but not directly to us, revelation, inspiration, writing it down. God preserves it through the years so that you and I can hold it in our hands. And then we can ask Him to teach us from it. And He'll illuminate us. So when you start to read the Word, ask Him to illuminate you. Ask Him to teach you. Because without His teaching, it will be void. Now, I, I spoke to you two weeks ago about if you're not already on a Bible reading plan to start reading the book of Mark. And if you've read a chapter every day, you're probably about two chapters away from finishing the book of Mark. I'm saying to you today, if you're doing that particular Bible reading, now go, after you finish Mark, go to Acts, the book of Acts. And uh, I'll give you more information on all of that in the near future. God has sent us a love letter through this process. So... When it comes to our text, God says, don't take it lightly. Don't think of it lightly. Don't treat it lightly. Treat it as though it is what it is. God's book. God breathed. It doesn't benefit us because it's revealed, inspired, and preserved until we read it ourselves and let it illuminate us. Then it changes us little by little into the image of Christ. Bringing little by little more joy, more peace, more contentment into our lives as we follow Him. I know we live in busy days and finding time to read the Word is difficult. That's the reason I recommend just one chapter a day. be nice if you had a study Bible and you'd not only read the chapter but read the notes at the bottom. True story. It's told as a true story. I assume it is about a, a poor girl who lived in France. She was blind. She could read Braille some, but she was very poor and didn't have any books. And somebody gave her the Gospel of Mark. That's all she had in Braille. 
and she began to read the Gospel of Mark in Braille. And she read it over and over again. As the story goes over a period of time, her fingertips became calloused. You know how you get a callous when you're working, doing the same thing over and over again? You get a tough spot on your skin. Her fingertips became calloused. And she couldn't read very well. And she couldn't... Uh, and so she even tried cutting those calluses off with a sharp instrument. But of course that didn't help. It just made it worse. One day she was so saddened by the fact she couldn't read the book of Mark anymore that she picked up her braille book and kissed it like she was kissing it goodbye. And when she kissed it, she realized she could feel the little dots with her lips. <laughs> and she began to read what she called the wonderful words of her Lord with her lips. She, she read late into the night. We ought to love the Word of God. We shouldn't treat it lightly as though it is little. Let's treat it that it is of great value, one of the great gifts of God to mankind. Pray with me, please. Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, no doubt about that, but I want you to pray for me that I'll treat the Word of God the way I should. Pray for me. If that's your request, would you slip your hand up all over? Yes, hands are up all over. God bless you, each one. You may put them down. Maybe you'd say this, Preacher, I'm not saved. Bible doesn't make any sense to me, really. I, I, I've never received Christ into my heart and life. Pray for me. Would you let me pray for you? Nobody will come to you or embarrass you. We'd never embarrass anyone, but let us pray for you. Anyone? Slip your hand up for prayer. Preacher, I'm not saved. Anyone? All right. Father, thank you for your word. Forgive us when we treat it as though it is of small importance. Teach us. Illuminate us. May the wonderful words of our Savior be alive in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.